Good morning, Porch community. Would you all thank Jody for sharing her heart and her... her um, I've, I asked uh, members of our, our ministry board of elders to share uh, once a week over the next several weeks as we consider how we're going to step out into 2024. And that's what those envelopes, those cards and the seats are there for you to take and fill out sometime between now and the middle of January and for you to place in that chest. So I hope that you have been in the process of praying and thinking about how you're going to be a part of of the ministry in 2024. Uh, We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4 today. Galatians 4, it's actually our, um, our anchor verse for the next couple of weeks, or anchor passage in Galatians 4, um, and it might not be your typical, well, it's not your typical Christmas, Advent um, verse, but I did that on purpose, so we're not really going to talk about shepherds and mangers and stars as much this year, because we all kind of know that. Um, instead, I want us, and, and you see, it's a red Christmas, and the reason we're calling this few-week series a red Christmas, because, I don't know, anyone like the movie White Christmas, or the song? Woo-woo, all right, four of us, we'll have, you can come over later, we'll watch it, we'll watch the movie together. Um, <laughs> but I love the song and everything, but listen, I mean, this is the, this is the mindset I want us to have. In, in God's economy, <laughs> in, in the way God works, and we're going to see this, we're going to look at some theological underpinnings of Christmas that we don't maybe often get to um, over the next couple of weeks that I want us to get deeper into. Um, and in order for us to really like celebrate a white Christmas, not talking about snow, um, we've, it, we've got to go through red. In God's economy, you've got to have red get white. Okay, that's what we see. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Though your sins are like scarlet, that's red, by the way, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. This is a prophetic word long before Jesus was present with us. But we, Christians, on this side in the New Covenant, I'm reading the New Testament, we understand what, what happened or we have an idea that it took red for us to get to white. So we, I want us to think about that as we look through a, a good portion or a, a section, a particular section in Galatians 4 some of these theological underpinnings. So I want to start with a question, and I know it might be a question you've never thought of, but I need to pose the question because I want to answer it for you. <laughs> um, and the question is this, um, have you ever wondered why Jesus came into the world in human form, why Jesus came into the world when he did, like like chronologically, like why did Jesus come in the time that he did? Why some 2,025-ish years ago is that when Jesus came? Why? Why in that culture? Why in the Greco-Roman culture did he come into that scene? Why in that part of the world, right, in the Middle East and Bethlehem and Nazareth and Jerusalem, why did God send the most important human ever to do the most important work ever 
at that most specific time that he did. Why? I know maybe you've never asked that question, but it's when I say we want, I want us to look at some of the deeper theological underpinnings of, of what Christmas is, of what Advent is leading to, then that is a question that needs to be answered. Why? Why then? What was going on in the grander scheme? Why? And the answer is found in our text today in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. As Paul explains it, it says this. I'm going to read from the NIV first. It says, but when the set time had fully come. When the set time, who set the time? God did. When the set time had fully come. Many of your other versions will say, but when the fullness of the time had come. When the fullness of the time had come. And this fullness of time, it speaks to this. I mean, I think you can probably grasp it, but I want to help paint the picture a little bit. The fullness, it speaks to a fulfillment of something. It speaks to a completion of something, a, a season that, that, that where God very meticulously prepared the whole world for this perfect moment. This is the fullness of time. Everything necessary has been accomplished that needed to be accomplished or brought to completion to make this time the right time for God's intended action. That's what the fullness of time means when it had fully come. Let's keep looking. So we'll read it again. When the set time had fully come, so we grasp that maybe a little bit more now, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those under the law, we're going to talk about that more in a moment, that we might receive adoption to sonship, that we might be his children. So verse 5 tells us something here. It explains something that, again, I think a lot of us understand, but this is part of the fullness, the completion. See, being under the law, as verse 5 says, it doesn't equate adoption into his family it's not enough going i followed the law oh i'm therefore in the family i followed the rules therefore i'm in the family that that obviously that's not enough we fail to keep the law so what happens we see here we need to be redeemed we're under the law we need to be redeemed if we're not redeemed then the opposite of redeemed is condemnation we need to be redeemed or we will be condemned so what God does, and this is part of the fullness of the time, God introduces a new era, a new season of redemption. And it's summed up in this phrase, when the fullness of time had come. When the fullness of time had come. And it's from this powerful verse in Galatians that, that sets up really the, the advent season, the, the season leading to Christmas, the fullness of time. It's from this verse I want us to um, zoom in a little bit more on this morning, uh, a very powerful promise from God's word, okay? And the promise is this, and I want you to hear it, and I want you to really, like, take it in, because it could be, like, 
It could be something that's cross-stitched by the front door and you just and you see it all the time and you forget about it. It could be a promise that that you know it, you see it posted on social media. It could be a promise that's on a bumper sticker or something like that and you're like, "Okay, okay, okay." But really, this is a promise that I want us to understand today. God's time is always the right time. God's time is always the right time. Does anyone in here don't point fingers because that's just rude. Know someone who's never on time? I just I said don't point fingers. <laughs> right, but like, do you know some people and like when they say they're going to be somewhere, you can just go ahead and tack on 15 or 30 minutes, maybe 45, um, and because you just know they're not going to be there. It's just, you just know that. Well, listen, Our God is always, always, always perfectly on time. Always, always. He's on his timetable. He always keeps it. God's time is always the right time. He's never late. He's never early. He's right on time. I want to share with you a couple. This is what, when Jesus was starting his ministry, and we read in Mark 1, uh, the first words out of Jesus' mouth. Are you ready? He says this, Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus says, the time has come. It's time. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time was then. It was the time set. It was the time aligned. It was the time it had been fulfilled. It had come. Everything that had happened prior to that went to that moment. The time has come. He was saying what we read in Galatians 4. This is the fullness of the time. And there's a lot of references about God's timing in the Gospels. I want to share with you from John a couple. I don't have the actual verses, I think, for the screen. Maybe a couple I do. But when Jesus' mother, Mary, when they were at the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2, and she came to him and was like, hey, they're out of wine, and you know, it ends up happening, the first thing he says to her is, and guys, don't talk to your mom this way. Woman, don't do that. But Jesus did it. It's okay. He said, woman, my hour has not yet come. So Jesus like, it's not the right time. You've got to give it a minute. My, not, my time is not here. In John chapter 7, his own brothers and some in the crowd and some officials were actually like, they were trying to give Jesus a platform. They wanted him to go ahead and step out into ministry. But Jesus said there, he said, my time is not yet here. See, there's a perfect time for everything. God's timing. Go on into John chapter 13. It's the Last Supper. Jesus gets up from the table to wash his disciples' feet because this is how John records it. Jesus knew that the hour had come. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. God's timing. And then he announced this in the Garden of Gethsemane, a very, very well-known prayer in John 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. God's time. God's time. God's time. It's always, God's time is always the right time. So look at it this way. Um, This season of Advent, right, it leads us to Christmas. Advent, it's it's the, the word Adventus. It means preparation, preparing for 
as the season of Advent leads us to Christmas, when the Father sent the Son into the world, this is what it does. Eventually, it leads us, well, to his life. But then there's this moment of, no, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. Ultimately, to his death, and then to his resurrection. It's all in the perfect time, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time. So here, I want us to go, I said I want us to go a little bit deeper into why this time, why this season, all right? I want us to look at, there's, there's several, but I want to offer you three different like factors that were going on in the world of Jesus's time because it was the, it was the convergence of these that actually bring witness to the fact, oh, oh yeah, this was the right time. God's really, this is God's timing. This wasn't by chance. This wasn't circumstantial. It wasn't coincidence. This was God working. So we're talking about the right time. It was the right time spiritually. There was something going on in the world at that time, pre-Jesus, during the life of Jesus, and a little bit after this whole time frame, there was something going on spiritually. Historians have noted that that there was this, um, because the Jewish people had been allowed uh, in, well, Alexander the Great, when, when the Greeks were doing their thing, and then into the, when the Romans took over. But Alexander the Great especially, he was telling the Jewish people, you can go and, and live freely and share your faith and, and all that. And because of that, the Jewish people have a monotheistic faith. There's one God. Well, that was odd to most people in the places that they were. They worshiped many gods. And their influence and their witness to one God, it had an effect wherever they went. And people started to note that, oh, this one God idea is something to consider and think about, that, that there, there seems to be a faithfulness to these people who worship one God. And so monotheism had, uh, it, it was something that people were interested in in a much larger scale than they'd ever seen before. Now, there was a, there was a hunger for more. The world, the world was in a, in a state that it had not been in prior spiritually to receive someone who came along and said, I am, I am from God. I am the son of God, the God, the one God. So there was this spiritual hunger that like not, I'm, when I say historians, I don't mean Christian historians or Jewish historians. Historians, period, are like this was a time when monotheism had an effect on people, and so it was a right time. Now, there was also a right time, not just spiritually, but culturally. This one, to me, as I was read, reading this, um, culturally and then like kind of politically, we're going to look at in a moment, was really interesting to me because culturally, okay, for the first time since the Tower of Babel, okay, if you're not sure what the Tower of Babel is, Go read about it, okay? It's very interesting. Um, but, but everyone was speaking one language, and, and things didn't go well, and they were trying to do stuff, and they were trying to, to go on their own, and so they were dispersed. But for the first time since the Tower of Babel, what you have is there was a, as close to a universal trade language as there could be. You're going to be like, why are we talking about this? I'll get there, I promise. Okay. There was a universal trade language. Okay, and they, there, was, there was the Greek-speaking people, right? the Greek language, 
Alexander the Great really pushed that out as he was going about his conquests. Today, in the world, there is a, there is a, a trade language, and it's English. So it's, it's a worldwide, that's the language that people would use if you go into another country to do business, and there's someone else from another country and another, and they're meeting. English is often the language that everyone would speak, okay? Well, then, at this time, it was the Greek language. So, but for centuries, there wasn't. So this was like a new thing in the East. So under Alexander the Great, the Greeks ruled they, as far as India, so their culture and their langu language was as vast, uh, and Greek was this trade language. So you could go, they said, like from Britain to India at one point in history, and everyone at least understood Greek, even if it wasn't their native language. All right, that, that's very significant for that. Talking about timing today. All right? So when Rome comes on the scene, of course, Latin is their language, but Greek was also spoken, and it was known, and it was allowed to continue to be spoken. And so you have East and West combining for the first time, and there is a common language. Now, not only is it a common language, Greek, but it is one of the easiest languages in regard to sentence structure and, and tense and all that kind of stuff that you, well, I don't even want to think about. It makes, makes my head hurt thinking about taking Greek again. Um, but culturally, you have a language, okay? Language. Everyone or most people spoke, understood Greek. Why is that important? Why is that perfect timing? Because now you can express thought and ideas and beliefs to people in the same language from multiple different societies and cultures. You can, you can share with them. You can write something down, and it can be shared to someone else who speaks another native language, but they are going to understand it. All right? So there's this, there's this cultural perfect timing. So what God's timing looks like is culturally, one language is understood over the largest portion of the civilized world, and it was the language that we read about in the New Testament. Greek was the language that the New Testament was written in. What we read in our English language was translated from the original, which was Greek. It's what everyone knew. It was the universal language. It was written about, so it's the language that the New Testament would be written in and understood by the largest group of people. Y'all, that's God's timing. Because as words started to go out and it started to be recorded of, of the things of God and how he was working through Jesus, people could receive this information. It was the right time spiritually, monotheism. It was the right time culturally, a universal language. And then it was the right time, it was the right time politically, um, I could almost really say, like, uh, geographically as well. Who was in charge uh, politically of the world at this time? Rome. Rome was in charge. Rome was in charge. Caesar Augustus, all right? During, during the height of the, the Roman government, he established something called the Pax Romana. It means Roman peace, okay? And during this time, it was about a 200-year span that um, there was almost an absence of, there was an absence of any significant military um, conflict. 
So for almost 200 years, because of the Roman presence, there was no major conflicts. No one was trying to overthrow somebody. So it was the Pax Romana. It was a time of peace. And during that time of peace, I know some of y'all are like, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, it's, it's really cool, all right? During this time of peace, this is so cool to me, um, Romans built a road system comprised of about 250,000 miles. We don't think about that today. We just get on the road and drive. 250,000 miles of road during this time of peace. What's significant about that? Well, it's a time of peace, and now there's an ability to travel throughout the known world, and you can do so safely and freely. This was not common. This was not normal. We don't, we take this for granted. We just wrapped up a six-month series. Six months we were in the book of Acts. And what we saw during that time was Paul going anywhere from, depends on who you read, anywhere from 10 to 15,000 miles he traveled. Anywhere from 10 to 15,000 miles. And most of that was on land. Some of it was in, in the sea. But he took the gospel of Jesus, as we know, that's all Paul talked about. He took the gospel of Jesus on every one of those 10 to 15,000 miles. Paul couldn't have done that kind of travel in the amount of time that he did sharing the gospel of Jesus without the Roman Department of Transportation. It was the right time, y'all. It was the right time. See, we think about Christmas and we're like, it's December 25th. We think about Christmas and we're like, okay, as soon as we're done with Thanksgiving, it starts. We think about Christmas and we're like, oh no, it's November 1st, we start. You know, we've just, we put away the Halloween and it's Christmas time. Friends, this is so much bigger than that. God's timing is perfect. And we read in Galatians, the fullness of time, God had been orchestrating and working and preparing and doing all of this, not just so that the fullness of time that Jesus would be born, but then the fullness of time that, that Jesus would begin his ministry, and then the fullness of time that Jesus would get up from that table and wash his disciples' feet because he knew his hour has come, the fullness of time where he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's like, Father, if it's time, it's time. If, there's, if someone else, if you can pass the cup, pass the cup, but I know this is what I'm supposed to do. That kind of time, it was the time. It was the perfect time that when Paul and other disciples and apostles and followers of Jesus were able to share the good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because there was a common language and they could travel to do so. It was the fullness of time. Profound when you think about it. It's not just a date on our calendar. This is the fullness of of God's time. Look how perfect this is. The gospel in the most understood language ever, under the most ideal, peaceful circumstances ever, to that point, to people who are more interested and hungrier spiritually than ever before, going to places more freely than they were ever able to before. It was the perfect time. It's the right time. It's the fullness of time. By the year A.D. 312, 
Okay, so 312 years after the birth of Christ. Approximate population of the world, 65 million people of the known world. And at that time, historians say that every one in 10 people in the Roman Empire, so it was 65 million of the Roman Empire, every one in 10 people in the Roman Empire claimed to be Christians. 6.5 million people. That's an incredible reach from Messiah and some disciples and some followers. 6.5 million. The fullness of time made this possible. It was the fullness of time. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. That's God's timing. God's timing is absolute perfect timing. All right, let me bring this a little bit closer to home, okay? I know some of you can attest to this truth. I know you can. I've heard you tell me stories. Um, And I know others of you probably, not probably, there's some who desperately need to hear this truth right now. It's not just that God's timing is always perfect timing. God's timing in your life is always perfect timing. God's timing in your life is always perfect timing. And I know it doesn't always feel that way. I know it doesn't. Justin was praying that earlier. I know that a lot of times it's like, God, it really seems like your, your timing is off. It seems like your timing's off. It would have been better if you would have synchronized my time with your time. It would have been a lot better because it wouldn't have been so difficult or it wouldn't have been uh, so, so painful. It wouldn't have been so scary. It wouldn't have been so frustrating. It wouldn't have been so heart-wrenching. God, your timing seems off. Listen, friends, God's timing in your life is always perfect timing. We don't always understand God's timing, but it's always perfect. So when we think about this Advent, this Christmas season, here's what I know. It could be, this very moment, could be, this moment right now, God's perfect timing in your life. He might be stirring something up in you. He might be shaking some things loose in you. He might, be, he might be bringing you to a place of comfort that you've never known before. He might be bringing you to a place of understanding that you've never had before. He might be bringing you to a, a place today of, of release. Here you go, God. Here's my time. I've made a mess of trying to keep my time. Here's my time, Lord. It could be a place today, this moment of confidence and trust in a God whose timing has been laid out over centuries to be perfect.
He might be bringing you to a place today of, of saying yes to Jesus for the very first time. This could be the perfect time right now where it's time to return home as your, as your homesick heart has yearned to do. The perfect time. Today could be the fullness of time for you. So as we continue this morning, and we're going to look more in Galatians 4 next week. We're actually going to go back a little bit into chapter 3 as well. As we, as we continue in this perfect time, fullness of time, this moment of worship and praise and prayer, I want you to hear these words again from Galatians chapter 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Lord, we come to you this morning, and my prayer for all of us gathered here, listening, watching, is at whatever time we thought it was, <laughs> we would now recognize that it's your time. This is your time. And just as you perfectly orchestrated the birth of your son Jesus and perfectly orchestrated his life, his ministry and his death. You perfectly orchestrated the fullness of time for Easter and his resurrection promise fulfilled Hope restored, peace given to us. Your time, Lord, is the perfect time. And this is the perfect time for us to give you the praise, the adoration, the worship, the worship the heartfelt worship, the release of what we've been holding on to, the letting go of regret, the letting go of, of resentment and anger, the, the release of those things that, that keep you from fully being alive in us. Lord, this is the moment, the fullness of time for us to come before you with our hands open, our heart open, and to declare you as Lord, perfect Lord. Receive our heartfelt worship now, I pray in the mighty, powerful, wonderful name of Emmanuel, Christ with us. <laughs> 